and welcome back to the New Club Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Considine. Some analysts say that the golf business is dwindling. Others will contest that after years of decline, the industry has stabilized and is now positioned for a resurgence. Regardless of what stats you might be looking at, the golf industry will always need creative and innovative leaders to keep golf interesting and enjoyable for all of us. Leaders like Steve Skinner, CEO of Kemper Sports, who joins us on today's episode. Steve Skinner, and I'm CEO of Kemper Sports and Kemper Lesnick. Steve started his career in law and politics, but fell in love with the game of golf after collaborating in business with the likes of Arnold Palmer and Michael Jordan. You know, for a Chicago kid to do a golf thing with uh, Michael Jordan was just about a dream come true. Steve has been with his company for over 20 years. Now the CEO, Steve leads both Kemper Sports and Kemper Lesnick. If you haven't seen their logo on the golf course, it's intentional. Even though they manage 130 properties in 25 states in Mexico, they defer to the local names and brands. In Chicago, it's places like Harborside, Cantini, Royal Melbourne, Hawthorne Woods, Kemper Lakes, and top golf destination resorts like Bandon Dunes, Sand Valley, Streamsong, and Chambers Bay. Kemper Sports has a big hand in all of their operations. We really believe in the uh, local market and understanding the local market. Take a listen to our fascinating conversation about how Steve got into the business side of golf, his take on new technology, and how to advance our game, and much more. We obviously, being a Chicago-based golf society, are excited to uh, to chat with you today on all things golf. But before we dive into uh, to golf-related topics, and so we don't talk about golf the entire time, um, I thought it'd be fun to ask you if if you were going to do this podcast today or had to do a, a presentation on any other topic that's not golf, uh, what would that topic be? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, and I think it would have to be probably uh, something outside of sports. It'd probably be about uh, politics and government. I started uh, my career as both a lawyer and uh, in the government and very uh, fascinated by politics. So I guess I have two passions. They're both kind of a sport, uh, golf and sports in general, and the sport of politics, which is a, a blood sport here in Illinois. <laughs> yeah, Chicago is a great study of, of such a topic. Uh, is there any similarities between the world of golf and the world of politics? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think it's all about uh, relationships and uh, relationship building. So uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I uh, lived in Chicago my whole life, and as you say, uh, politics leads the news every day. So there's two things that Chicago is probably known for politics and sports, uh, and hopefully some golf. Well, you're, you're from Chicago. Um, maybe give us a, a little intro to your, your early life. Uh, where'd you grow up and how were you introduced to the game of golf? Well, I grew up, uh, up in Lake forest in the Northern suburbs, uh, where I now, uh, I'm back living there now with my family. And I actually did not play golf as a, uh, as a kid growing up. I wish now I did. I'd be a lot better if I would have played when I was, 10 years old, but uh, my dad played, and uh, I would play occasionally through my teenage years, maybe once or twice a year, and then I really uh, got the bug uh, the year after, uh, uh, from between college and law school, I went to University of Chicago Law School, so between college and law school, I had a couple months off, and I started taking some lessons, I've been a member up at Unwensia for years, uh, and talk, took some lessons, and uh, really got hooked on it, and uh, became the proverbial golf addict from uh, from then on. But uh, I've always said I wish if I would have 
played more when I was younger, maybe uh, I would be better. I'm always jealous of those that played uh, from when they were seven, eight, nine years old. They seem to be able to pick it up a lot easier than when you're 25. What was the, going back to that time, what was the hardest part that you just, the hardest part of the game that you had to, to get going. Yeah I, think, yeah, I mean, I think it's just the uh, the frustration. It's now back to that. I, I played okay for a while, and now as I get older, I'm struggling again. So uh, I think the uh, the hardest part uh, is always just the frustration and learning to uh, leave a bad shot behind or a bad hole behind and move on to the next hole and uh, try to uh, try to not relive every moment uh, over and over again. Ben Hogan said the the most important shot in golf is the next one, I think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've always thought you need to have golf, like they say about uh, shooters in basketball, you have to have a shooter's mentality that you don't don't remember the last shot, just uh, look forward to the next one. There you go. That's probably why uh, Steph Curry and Ray Allen and all these guys were good uh, good golfers. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I haven't mastered that. I think about the (laughs) last shot or the shot before all round, but... One of these days. When were you playing your best golf? What what year was your handicap at the it was, pro- it was probably I I got a, as low as probably about a nine uh, when I was uh, in my twenties. Right when we were married and had kids, I used to uh, play a lot of golf, and uh, everyone was single or, or newly married without kids, so we had more time. So you know we'd play two or three times a weekend and a lot through the week, and then uh, it's uh, as you get. Uh, as you get older and the kids uh, grow up, you get a lot more, you know, it's just a change and it's what's happened to the golf business, frankly, the change in the generations and uh, you get more involved with your kids and uh, with your family and you have less and less time to play. But uh, I'm hoping to uh, have more time. My youngest just graduated from high school and is going off to college. So we'll be empty nesters. So hopefully next year is the year I play a lot more. You'll get, you'll get right back below that nine. Just yeah, keep, keep I don't know about that. Those days may be long gone. <laughs> um, that 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 hits right in the wheelhouse of of our core membership. You know, our average age is uh, right around thirty five. So it's a lot of folks that do have that the, the young ones at home and are starting to uh, figure out other ways to get to the the golf course. Um, but but you mentioned the golf business. Uh, how did you end up from law school? Uh, into the golf business what what drew, drew you to it how did you end up in the golf world well you know it's, it's I've always been so I was, a, I was practicing law for a little while uh, spent some time in Washington and then back in Chicago and always been a sports fanatic and I uh, became acquainted became friends with a gentleman named Chuck Reeves who had uh, who used to work for Jack Nicholas and had uh, become close with Michael Jordan and Chuck and Michael were starting uh, Michael Jordan golf which was first uh developed to build high-end driving ranges. It was actually, in some ways, a precursor to what is now Top Golf, but uh, we weren't that creative. So anyway, Chuck and Michael were starting that. Michael, of course, is a golf addict. So I uh, was there, I think, uh, second employee uh, helping uh, grow that. And, you know, for a Chicago kid to do a golf thing with uh, Michael Jordan uh, was just about a dream come true. So that was kind of how I... Left practicing law and got into the golf business and spent uh, two or three years there, and that company was sold and then joined Kemper Sports uh, 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago now. This is our, our uh, second podcast in a row where Michael Jordan uh, and golf were, were related in the same uh, 
same sentence. So what was the concept of that? Were, were driving ranges, just high-end driving ranges? Yeah, it was high, you know, it was it was high-end driving ranges. The first one was built uh, out in the Naperville Aurora area, and uh, then the second one in Charlotte. And then we got into the retail business uh, because it was when Michael, Michael had left basketball, had retired uh, for a couple of years to go play baseball, and then shortly after as we were getting ready to build the first one he came back to basketball so his popularity was through the roof so then we opened uh retail stores it sold uh michael jordan golf wear you know nike golf shirts with the michael jordan golf logo on it and all sorts of stuff so we opened a store at water tower and o'hare uh and a couple other places and that uh that became a big part of the business uh as well but yeah the concept was you know not your everyday driving range but you know the frankly the driving ranges of today that you see at good courses and good clubs with target greens and grass tees and uh uh you know good balls and a nice place to eat and have a beer and the like and you guys were so it, you guys uh, were ahead of the times just about yeah to- if we just if we just would have had the technology and uh and realize what top golf realized that you can sell a lot more beer and food than uh, <laughs> anything else <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and we'll get to kind of some of the newer trends in golf because we're interested to get your uh, your opinion on those. But um, maybe maybe taking a, a step back, can, could you describe Kemper Sports in Kemper Lesnick? Um, you know that you're the chief executive officer for. Could you describe the, those those two businesses for our audience who who maybe might not, might not know? Sure, sure. Uh, both businesses are about are 40 years old. Kemper Sports is our golf course management and development business, uh, where we currently uh, manage about 130 properties in 25 states, mostly in the U.S. Also, do some work uh, in uh, in Mexico. So that uh, that business uh, of those courses we own uh, six of those courses, and the others we manage for third-party owners. So either private individuals, investors financial institutions, municipalities, uh, and the like. That's the that's that business. And the other business, Kemper Lesnick, is our sports marketing, public relations, and events business. Also been around for 40 years, and we really have two businesses there. It's kind of a sports and a non-sports business. We are involved in a lot of golf tournaments. And then we also have a big presence in college basketball, uh, where we run the Maui Gym, uh, Maui Invitational, the early season uh, NCAA basketball tournament. We run the McDonald's High School All-American game uh, and the like. Uh, and we also do public relations for sports and non-sports clients. So we've got a lot of golf uh, in our heritage, in our blood, but also uh, branch out into other sports as well. And, and you mentioned uh, Kemper Lakes Golf Club, which is hosting the uh, KPMG Women's PGA Championship next week um, is is that that's where Kemper got got started in the golf business, correct? It is. It is the, uh, the the really the start of the company was when Kemper Insurance was headquartered downtown. Jim Kemper Jr. was an avid golfer, and they were moving the headquarters to Long Grove. And uh, the local community, as part of their zoning, said if you're going to build these big buildings here, you have to have uh, a lot of open space, and Mr. Kemper said they wanted to build a championship golf course there, and he wanted to host a major championship. And Steve Lesnick, our founder, uh, along with uh, Jim Kemper, uh, was working for uh, Mr. Kemper and 
sort of, he was not a golfer at the time, but uh, helped build Kemper Lakes and then went out and got a, uh, the 1989 PGA Championship, uh, which really was the, really the first uh, kind of non-resort pure daily fee golf course to hold a uh, major uh, PGA Championship. So it's, uh, that was the start. And at the same time, uh, Kemper Lesnick uh, was managing all the Kemper Insurance was the largest sponsor and advertiser on the PGA Tour uh, with the Kemper Open, which had a 30-plus year run, and Kemper Lesnick was the sports marketing agency uh, running that event and, and doing all that work. But today, today mm-hmm. actually, it's interesting. We don't, besides the similarity in name, uh, we had leased Kemper Lakes uh, for a number of years. The insurance company still uh, owned it from the very beginning, and then uh, they went through a transaction on the insurance company part, so they sold uh, Kemper Lakes uh, several years ago, maybe 15 years ago now. But uh, we still uh, we still enjoy it. It's a great property, and it'll be a great event next week. That uh, 1989 PGA Championship, who, who was the winner of that one? Uh, that was uh, Payne Stewart. All right, yeah, so, I wasn't... Uh, yeah, not yeah, a bad there's a statue. To have for the- yeah, great, great champion to have, and uh, there's a statue of him out there. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been fortunate. You know, our, our golf society and our members have visited quite a number of Kemper sports facilities. You know, in Chicago, I think uh, you're hard pressed to be a golfer uh, who moves to Chicago and doesn't play at Harborside, um, <laughs> and it, it's kind of the home for so many uh, of our different Chicago land members. Um, but then there, there's just so many other great courses. And one thing I wanted to, to ask you about is we do get just such good feedback from the people that work for Kemper Sports at the properties, at the courses. Um, and, and the word that kind of comes to mind for me was genuine. You know, they're genuinely excited about uh, you being there and they're genuinely uh, excited to be working in the game of golf. You know, what, what would you attribute that culture to uh, from, from your organization? Yeah, no, that's that's nice you say. That's so great to hear. Actually, our service training program we call True Service is really the main goal is to be genuine, helpful, and friendly uh, to the guests. And it's really about we have a real uh, passion for the game. Uh, you know, we try to hire like-minded people that really love uh, the game of golf and love being around people. So it's, you know, really – in today's uh, environment, you can cut up a lot of things, but if you hire people that are really nice, care about other people, and uh, just are having fun being out there and love the game of golf, that's that's what we strive for. And we always say we can teach them the skills, whatever skills they may need. But if you start with someone who can be genuine, helpful, and friendly, uh, that really uh, gets you a head start. So that's what we try to push all the way through the organization, and we think it makes a difference. We we think it's the right thing to do, but we also think it's a good business uh, approach as well uh, because um, we think that's what differentiates a lot of courses these days. Any of your, All of your uh, members have so many choices to play of which golf course they can play and so many great choices. Chicago's a great example. I mean, literally in the Chicago metro area, I think there's 300 golf courses, something like that. And really we think the service and the experience that, uh, the golfer has is really what differentiates uh, one course from the other, what, what leads you to go to Harborside versus another course that might be closer to your home even. There's so many aspects of the golf business that obviously you're, you and your team oversee, but what do you think, you know, I've heard it described um, 
as you know, a hospitality industry. Um, we've heard it's described as more of a service industry, recreation, sport. What, what industry do you think you're in? What industry do you think the golf business really is? Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the entertainment and uh, and fun business. What we always try to tell our people is, people are out there to play golf to get away from their daily lives, to get away from work, and to have some fun. So, our our properties that are most successful, our teams that are most successful, are ones that are having fun every day, uh, and really providing that entertainment outlet. So, I think all the things you say are are good descriptors of it, but ultimately. It's because you want to get away. There's a lot of competition for that discretionary dollar. Someone can, you know, go to the movies or go uh, <coughs> go to a Top Golf or you know go to a restaurant, go to a bar, uh, and they choose to spend uh, their money at the golf course. So it's all about making sure they have an enjoyable time there. That's great. And, and in your guys' portfolio in, in Chicago alone, I know there's uh, private clubs, municipal courses. Uh, public courses and maybe not resorts here, but you guys have plenty of resorts under the umbrella. Uh, what are some of the differences in those verticals in managing, you know, a, a private club from a resort or a, a municipal course from a, a public course? What, what are the, the differences? Yeah, I th- you know, I, th- I think the key is understanding who the customer is, uh, because I would say even among those verticals, there are differences. Uh, so we really believe in the uh, local market and understanding the local market and the local brand of the golf course. That's why you won't see Kemper Sports name, you know, splashed uh, all over the property or all over the golf carts. It's really about the local brand. If you're going to play the Glen Club, uh, it's because you like the vibe and the feel of, of the Glen Club. Uh, and, if, and if you're going to play you know, Deer Path Golf Course up in Lake Forest, Municipal Golf Course, it's because you really like uh, the experience there. So, you know, each of those each of those has a little different. But, you know, it's interesting that it's, you know, we think of Municipal Golf traditionally as affordable and maybe less nice as some others. But, you know, we managed Chambers Bay, which is a municipally owned golf course that hosted the 2015 U.S. Open. And we have, you know, uh, probably a dozen really high-end municipal golf courses at the in the top of their market. So uh, I think there's some differences. And then you know, in the destination, in the resorts, in the destinations, uh, you know, they're a little different customer a lot of time because you have a very affluent customer. But even there, you get you know really kind of all walks of life and and all players. So there's probably more similarities than there are uh, differences. But the biggest difference I would say is based on the local customer base and the vision that uh, you have for the property and how you're going to attract those customers. And, and even within each of those verticals, are, are you, you talk about the differences of them, but uh, if there's private club A down the street from private club B, are you guys still trying to make those differentiated in a way? Are you trying to uh, make sure they have their own feel versus? Yeah. We we really rely a lot. We tell all our general managers of our facilities that we really want to give them a lot of latitude in uh, what they do and how they program the property. We're here to give them support and help them through the planning process. And, you know, we have a lot of experts in all the functional areas. But, you know, we, we laughingly say is the reason we believe in a decentralized approach is because the way, you know, we serve a hot dog here in Chicago is different than the way they serve it in New York or Philadelphia. (laughs) 
And, uh, you know, so we're not a cookie-cutter approach. We don't try to do a one-size-fits-all that, you know, here's a hot dog and, you know, take it down to South Florida and try to tell those folks down there that this is how you eat a hot dog. But um, so... uh, You wouldn't be from Chicago, though, if you didn't tell people how to eat a hot dog. Yeah, exactly. We can still say their hot dog's not as good as ours, but uh, if that's the way they want them, that's the way they want them. Um, (laughs) But... um, yeah, so to get back to, you know, and I think each private club has a little different membership, a little different vibe to it. You know, the physical plants are different. The golf courses may be different. And, you know, and, and a lot of the business is so local. Uh, you know, most of the private clubs, your members are going to be within, you know, 15, 30-minute drive uh, time. So uh, it's really driven by kind of the local market and the uh, local folks. And and just maybe the last question on those verticals, you know, between a, a private club or a public course um, or municipal or resorts, which which of those do you think have the, the toughest challenges right now? Because like you said, the clientele is a little different for each. Uh, the experience is a little different for each. Which which ones do you think um, have the most challenges and which ones do you think will we'll see the most change looking forward in the, like the next decade? Yeah, I would say the for for sure the most change will be the private clubs in that market because I think they've seen a lot of change recently. You know, I think the the a lot of it is driven by location. You know, the well located clubs or courses continue to do well. What we've seen is the higher end in the current economy, the higher end properties are uh, doing better from a financial standpoint than kind of the mid tier courses. So you know, our destination resorts are having very strong years the last couple of years. And as we've seen the market, I think the high-end private clubs are doing well, but it's it's kind of the middle-tier uh, clubs that maybe uh, were uh, in a market that's oversaturated. There may be, you know, four private clubs in a market that should have three or two. Uh, and they're really looking to reinvent, need to reinvent themselves. And I think private clubs in general, uh, given the changing uh, demographic, the changing wants, and your group is a great example of uh, how the world's changing. I mean, it's changed from my father's, you know, what they looked for in a club to what I look for in the club to what your generation is going to look for uh, in a country club or a golf club. Yeah, we, we've certainly talked to loads of people that that um, are looking for things just slightly different from the previous generation, but. Uh, is there anything in the private club world that has you've seen already that you're like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of neat or a new way to to go about it? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think you you saw it start with the uh, with the you know the fitness clubs trying to bundle everything together, add a fitness component, so you don't have to belong to a separate fitness club and a and a golf club. I think you know you've seen a lot of clubs make changes and. Be, in their food and beverage outlets, a lot more casual. I mean, the big battle has always been jeans 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I got in the business and be unheard of for people to wear jeans at a private club. Uh, and now uh, more and more are allowing it and just relaxing because you have to adapt. I mean, music on the uh, golf course, you know, you'd never think of that. And we still have some battles among some of our older members and younger members on how loud the music should be, but now you see everyone, you know, carrying the Bluetooth speakers around and uh, playing music while they play. So it's it's really been uh, changing fast. Yeah, I, I I tend to be more traditional. I think in a lot of my approaches to the game, but 
Uh, I, I'm okay with music, the conflicting uh, speakers on a golf course. I never understood that. If you got two speakers in a group, that, that's no good. <laughs> Why can't everyone get along, right? You'll get country music over here, maybe R&B on the other, and it's just uh, it's just noise at that point. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's changes for, for certainly happening. Um, we, ha- we do have – I had some questions submitted to me by some folks who uh, – it's funny. When we do podcasts like this with people who – whether they're a head pro or they work in the industry, it's always our former uh, employees of clubs that shoot us questions. And I got uh, one here that asks – um, what do most casual golfers or amateurs misunderstand or maybe just misinterpret about the business of running a golf facility? Oh, that's, that's, a great, uh, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think there's two things. I always say the, uh, the golf business, uh, uh, running a golf facility is a lot more intricate or a lot more complicated than people think. It's not rocket science, but we really have so many. You have, you know, 150, 200 acres to maintain. So you've got, a, obviously, the big agronomy component which is your main product you know you're running a food and beverage uh operation so you're running restaurants and all of that a lot of times you're doing a lot of banquet business so it could be wedding and outing planners and then you have the whole golf instruction uh component so i think uh people probably don't understand uh all the different uh businesses it's really three or four businesses rolled into one uh that make it uh make it complicated this is one thing. And then I think the other thing is, you know, we've got, especially for golfers, we've gotten so accustomed as golfers to every blade of grass being perfectly manicured in perfect place. And I think that's probably been, put a lot of pressure on the golf business from an economic standpoint. It really wasn't how the game started. So I think probably people don't understand how much work that takes. And, uh, and part of the game is, you know, you're out in a 150, 200 acres, of turf and uh, or of of land, and not everything needs to be perfectly manicured. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, what they used to use sheep instead of mowers, right? Or <laughs> just let them graze; it'll be fine. It, it'll it'll survive. Um, no, there's there's certainly I think a cool, and I'll get to some of your guys' resorts that you manage, uh, where I think you've embraced that minimalist features, and obviously that's a uh, a buzzword and you know, movement that's been going for decades, but um, you start when I think it's kind of neat to see that happening uh, locally at, at clubs that you're right, have been so accustomed to very pristine and lush features. Um, the, the game can be a lot of fun, even if it doesn't have that, you know, picture perfect feel to it. Uh, it can, actually can play a bit more natural and, and can some things can happen out there that uh, add to the experience do you, do you see more of, you know, taking a Chicago market, for example, do you see more of that minimalist approach kind of happening over the years, to, both from a cost yeah. standpoint and experience? I think so. I think what's what's really happened, we've really seen a uh, change in the architecture uh, standards and designs and vision. I mean, there was a time when everyone, the architects were trying to build the hardest golf course uh, they could in the, you know, 80s and 90s, really. And I really give, uh, and then that movement really changed. And I really think I give Mike Kaiser uh, and Bandon Dunes and David McClaykhead and Tom Doken and all the architects and, and his vision out there really a lot of credit for leading a move. It's really been a movement of uh, making golf, frankly, you know, more fun to play, more minimalist designs and not, you know, setting out more for the retail golfer than try, and the amateur golfer not designing 
courses, see how hard we can make it for the professional golfer. And I think you've seen, so I think you've seen that. We we find that some of our most successful golf courses are amazingly beautiful and stunning vistas and great service, but they're also very playable. And people go out and enjoy themselves and shoot a decent score. And one thing I've learned about golfers over the years, they seem to like the course a lot better. You know, if you ask them their favorite course, it's usually a course they played very well on. So <laughs> I think, and I think that's, you know, we've seen that, uh, you know, we see it down at Stream Song, uh, down in Florida at the courses down there, seeing it up at Sand Valley, and people just, you know, like it. And I think we're seeing that in the Chicago market. I think we're seeing that a lot of places. I think you see uh, courses kind of widen their fairways and maybe cut the rough down and, uh, and uh, you know, not make it so penal and try to make the golf courses more playable and enjoyable. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, share a, a quick testimonial for you with that. We, I talked to a gentleman this morning who um, made his first trip out to Bandon, and he took his, his father, who's, uh, his handicap's been going up. I think he said he was a 22 or so, and he just had the realization, I think he called it an awakening, of, you know, he had such a great time, and this was the golf that he wanted to play. But more importantly, it was more fun for him because he could now play with his dad, who's, you know, handicaps on the rise in those mid 20s but uh but they they both had a ball and and there's something to be said about that when you're it's like going to the uh, the casino and one guy wins and one guy doesn't well well dinner's kind of awkward after <laughs> after that uh <laughs> no i i think you're right i mean i you know as my game has deteriorated and i've gotten older what you really want to do uh not if you're a you know, a really good player, single digit, you don't worry about this, but everyone else just wants to hit it, find it again, hit it again, and see what happens and, you know, stay in the game and stay in the hole. And, you know, I think that's what a lot of these newer, you know, designs and designers have uh, come to understand, that you can still make it very challenging for the single digit player, but you can also uh, make it enjoyable for uh, the higher handicapper as well. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's important for the game because, you know, the, the other thing the game needs is we need more people uh, joining the game. And uh, one of the things I always say, we need to find a way for beginners and those who haven't played to how do we make the game easier for them to learn and uh, get quick success so they keep coming back. One one question I, I did have for you, and since you mentioned it, we yeah, we'll, we'll go to it. The um beginners in the game it's such an intimidating sport and i i know you were i I believe you were on the uh uh, you were one of the founders of the first tee in chicago uh so maybe talk a little bit about that program but also talk about just uh golfers in general you know people who are in their 20s who haven't touched a club how do you what do you think are some things that we could do better uh to get those folks involved yeah no it's a great question it's something uh uh, we work we work at all the time, and it really comes down to, in my mind, a local grassroots effort um, by the PGA professionals, by the you know the local instructors, really introducing people to the game, uh, making it you know getting them up on the learning curve, and then also making them understand that you don't have to go out and play 18 holes the first time. You can play three holes and go have a beer. You can play six holes. You know, it's more about being with your friends and, and being out there. I have a, a 21-year-old son who's uh, 
like me, didn't play when he was young, even though I tried to get him to play. And now that he's given up every other sport because it's it's passed him by, now he wants to play golf and he would like to play. But I see him kind of struggle to pick up the game. Uh, and uh, it's all about, uh, you know, trying to get people, kids introduced at a young age, making it fun, not making it so serious. I've said, I think I said this on the panel all the day, I say, you know, and it partly goes to just making the course and the range more inviting. Uh, I say at our, you know, country club, if my son and daughter could have worn, you know, basketball shorts and a T-shirt to the range, they probably would have come out more with me when they were young and would have enjoyed the game and picked it up. But when you tell them they've got to put a collared shirt on and, you know, shorts, clean shorts and uh, Bermuda shorts, you know, they would traditionally say, ah, you know, I'm going out with my friends, never mind. So, you know, I think that goes, you know, goes to overall just to make the game more accessible and, and more inviting. And I think, you know, the USGA and the PGA of America have done a nice job and they're trying to, uh, trying to get there. Uh, and, you know, with a lot of these get golf ready programs and, we have a big program throughout the country. The month of June is Player Development Month. So at all our Kemper Sports facilities, we offer our uh, PGA professionals offer free 15-minute lessons and some beginner clinics and just trying to get you know more people involved, really one person at a time. One thing I've noticed at some Kemper resorts and uh, maybe some, some local courses too, the uh, emergence of short courses or par three courses, I, th I feel like that really takes some intimidation factor out. Um, are there some plans? Like you, you take the sandbox up in, in Sand Valley, uh, which our group's going up there. We got a big group going in October. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to beat, it, no matter what your skill level. It, it, it's so fun. You could putt a ball off of some of those tees, um, or you could hit a you know spinning sixty degree. And so, depending on your ability, there's so many options. Do you, do you see more of that happening? Um, in the game? I do. I, th I think it's been a very interesting trend. And again, uh, you know, Mike Kaiser really, I know there've been some, there's short, short courses around, but really with the preserve out at Bandon, uh, you know, a 13 hole short course right on the ocean with spectacular views. Uh, and it's really captured everyone's imagination and people just love it. And the, and the other thing, not a new idea, you know, probably all ideas are old. They all start in Scotland somewhere, but we have a huge putting course, the Punch Bowl, out at Bandon. And after people play 18 or 36 holes, they'll sit out there for hours just with putting contests. Uh, so I think it is. I think it's about, you know, broadening the game uh, for people and having, you know, everyone understand that, I mean, the interesting thing is the game does not have to be 18 holes and, four and a half or five hours uh my son and his friends you know in their late teens early 20s they uh frankly think it's crazy when <laughs> when you tell them you know you're going off to play golf and you'll be home five or six hours later their attention span is such that they either play nine holes or six holes and then go do something else so and i think you're seeing a lot of that and how do we from a business standpoint set up courses so we can accommodate that as well as accommodate the golfers that, you know, want to play 18 holes and have a traditional round. Staying on the topic of just the, the future of the game, uh, from, from a uh, golf course management philosophy, so we just talked about short courses, uh, but so many courses have added so much length um, for that, uh, call it single-digit handicap. Uh, do you think there's 
what's your perspective on technology? I guess that's a buzz topic, of course, the rolling back of the golf yeah. ball. But from a golf course management perspective of the people who have to, you know, manage the, these properties that maybe have been there for uh, almost 100 years and are, are landlocked, you know, what, what do, what's your position on technology? What do you think um, its impact on the game really should be or is? Yeah, I, I think it's really, uh, and as I say, I think you're really talking about two different games, and I know a lot of people disagree with this. But when you look at what uh, the guys on the PGA Tour are doing and how far they hit the ball, you know, and what they did to a course like Aaron Hills last year that played at, what, I don't know, 7,800 yards, 7,900, something that they hit it so far, it really bears no resemblance to your average golfer. Uh, who's struggling to hit it 200, 220 off the tee. And, uh, you know, these guys are hitting it 340, 380. So, you know, I really, I think in a perfect world, uh, one, I think the professional players are such better athletes. I could say more fit now. I don't know if they're better athletes, but they're certainly more fit hitting it so much further that, you know, they are making a lot of courses uh obsolete. I mean, you can't hold a PGA Tour event on probably 95% of the golf courses in America just because of length. But at the same time, uh, I think the average golfer needs better technology to make the game more fun and more enjoyable. I saw a stat the other day, I can't remember where I saw it, that while they're worried about increased length on the PGA Tour and everything going on, they did a survey of a, you know, of amateur golfers uh, at all various levels, and they're not seeing any increase in average distance uh, off the uh, off the tee with technology. So, you know, I don't know if they'll ever get to a bifurcation of technology, but uh, I, I really think if you were just concerned, if you're concerned about how are we going to grow the game of golf and uh, amateur golf and get more players, I think we need to continue to improve in technology for the uh, 20 handicapper and you know if we have to figure out something else for the professional game whether it's a single ball that they all play i i think that would make a lot of sense i'd, I'd agree with that stat you found that people aren't hitting much further i mean you got to hit it on the center of the club face uh for it to work you know the way it needs to maybe miss hits it's a bit more forgiving but um but yeah it, w- it would be it would add another layer too to see you know the professionals be able to spin a ball and, and hit some shots like we do, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and I think, you know, people get a lot of, uh, give the USGA a lot of heat and whether it, it got out of, you know, hand that, uh, the third round at Shinnecock and, you know, it did, the wind comes up, the elements come into play that happens in golf. But I think a lot of golfers do, uh, take a certain, uh, bit of enjoyment seeing guys struggle as, as I said, everyone was shocked at what Phil Mickelson did, and I said, "Well, I've I've done that before, and so does everyone I know." You know, not wanting to walk down that hill to play the shot again and say, "You know, give me whatever you're going to give me. We're moving to the next hole." Yeah, yeah, but I it, believe it's it. a different we... it's a different environment he's in for sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's but you know it makes him makes him more human. That's for sure when you see him struggling like that. That's right. That's right. It's. Uh... We've all been there. It's I've said your whole partner more times than I would have liked in my <laughs> career. But um, that is there any other before we move on to just kind of golf in Chicago specifically? Is there any other innovations around the game that have grabbed your attention? 
Uh, I think, you know, and obviously we've talked about uh, most of them. I mean, I think the short courses, I think the putting courses, you know, and I think the whole, you know, phenomenon of top top golf, uh, which we talked about a little bit, is very fascinating. And, and, you know, and the customers they're drawing in aren't, you know, always golfers and not necessarily golfers, but they're certainly exposing a lot of people to the game of golf and making it fun and exciting and a different experience. So, you know, I think you'll see more and more of that, and I think it's good for the game because it brings golf in a different light. Yeah, yeah. Are there some things you think the uh, the game of golf could use more of, and are there some things you think the game of golf could use less of? <laughs> well, I think, you know, as I always say, people say that, you know, the game is struggling, the game's been around for 400-plus years, and it'll be around for another 400 more. I mean, I think as, as we can continue to... Uh, you know, make golf uh, more fun. I think that's the thing. I mean, you see that if you follow the PGA Junior Golf League has been a big hit in a lot of places where you're getting kids involved and they play in teams and they have uniforms and it's not traditional, but uh, it's uh, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, so, you know, and I think in that all the other trends we've talked about is playable golf courses uh, and the like and what could uh, what could golf use less of? You know, I think you're seeing less of it. I mean, I I don't think we need more golf courses that are 8,000 yards long and you know impossible to uh, get around with long force carries and the like. I think uh, the more we can uh, make it enjoyable and fun and a fun experience, the better off we'll all be. Yeah, amen to that. That's uh, that's the truth. With uh, moving into Chicago, you know, you've been here uh, your your whole life. Uh, a town that experiences the winters we do. Why do you think golf is is such an intricate part of the city? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think it's be- probably because of the winters in that uh, when the uh, sun comes out at all, uh, we're so excited as Chicagoans to get outside uh, and enjoy the outside. And golf is such a great way to, you know, be outside for four hours and, uh, and having fun and playing a sport, but it's and it's all you know. We also have great tradition of you know whether it's Chicago golf or a lot of the 120 plus year old golf courses. We just have such great traditions in Chicago and great organizations uh, here that have been around a long time. I think it's just really a part of the culture. Uh, I'll, I'll say from a transplant perspective, you know, I've been in Chicago for over a decade, but uh, coming here just as a a childhood golfer, you don't feel that connection. But when you dig into just a little bit of the history of the courses and clubs and, uh, and golfers, that um, there it's rich in history, and you start to really feel connected to that at so many of these places, which I think really draws you you to being a part of something. Which I um, not every city. I mean, every city has their their history, but this one, man. I mean, there's just so many stories that could be told. Yeah, no, it is fascinating, and you wonder, I mean, so many of them, especially the older ones, were private clubs, uh, and so probably, you know, didn't get as much publicity, or a lot of them aren't well known, but they just have uh, have great history uh, involved in, in so many of them. What, what Kemper course uh, do you wish more people in Chicago knew about or could experience? That's maybe a little under the radar. Oh, yeah, all, how about all of them? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, you know, I think they all have. These days you want more golfers uh, to uh, to come to Auburn. We have so many, 
different ones uh, in different. I mean, the interesting thing about the Chicago market is because it's such a big market, it's so uh, regionalized. There's probably a lot of people from the city uh, that have never been out to Cantini, which is just, you know, spectacular golf in a beautiful setting. Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of people from the northern suburbs who have never been down to Harborside uh, to play there. So, I mean, it's really, uh, if we could get, you know, all the Chicago golf, and most of the golf is local, but there's so many uh, great golf courses in, in so many uh different places and you know we're fortunate a lot of ours are very well known and and we get the word out but uh and no matter what corner of the city we uh we have a good offering uh for you since you brought up harborside i wanted to just uh, commend the the bumper bunker renovation project out there we did our uh our member member 27 hole event and um bunkers are great well, that's that's great to hear. It was a big, expensive project that we undertook uh, last year and, and got it done, and it was really needed. They hadn't been done in a long time. And that's the other, you know, it, it harkens back to your question, what do people, what do golfers not understand about the golf business? And that's how capital intensive it is and how you, you know, every seven to ten years you have to redo the bunkers and then the cart paths and irrigation systems. So it's uh, it's a living, breathing thing, as I always say, that, that takes uh, – a lot of money, but no, we've been uh, we've been involved in Harborside now for I think this is our fourth season, uh, and it's really been a great project for us. And we love Chicago, and it's such a great uh, setup of 36 holes, so close to the city. And I think we've seen a lot of <clears throat> as as people move back to the city, a lot of young people living in the city. We've seen a lot of growth in play there because it's easy to get to uh, from really all parts of. Uh, the uh, city, whether it's the north side or down in the loop, south loop and the like. Um, so before, I guess before we wrap up with you, uh, I, I wanted to ask just kind of some rapid fire questions on some things we touched on today. Um, kind of a list of your favorites. So we'll start with uh, who is Steve Skinner's favorite golfer? <laughs> that's a uh, that's a good question. I have to say, it's going to date myself because I didn't uh, see him play a lot. But you know, Arnold Palmer is always a favorite, uh, only because we we worked on some projects with him, and he was such a gentleman and and so much fun uh, to uh, to be around. But uh, I would say the other one of the the modern day golfers. There's so many great golfers, but uh, Jordan Spieth, uh, who won the Open out at Chambers Bay, and is such a class act and a good guy. And his caddy, uh, Michael Greller, was a caddy uh, at Chambers Bay uh, to start before he uh, hooked up with uh, Jordan and went on tour. So we kind of feel like we have a special connection with uh, with him. Yeah, he was a, a math teacher and a caddy in the summers, right? Yeah, yeah, great, great guy, great, uh, great family. Shout out to the math teachers that we have in our in our membership. <laughs> I love doing that. Um, favorite course. Favorite course? Well, you can't. Uh, <laughs> I can't have that. There's so many. We've got. We have so many uh, in our uh, place. But I would. Uh, I would say. So I'll take it outside of our courses. Uh, and there's. You know, I've had an opportunity to play a lot of great courses. And for me, I always tell everyone it's as much about the golf course as about the you know feel and the locker room and the whole experience. And one that always stands out to me is just a fun place to play is San Francisco golf. Uh, which is very laid back and uh, but just a cool setting right in the city with great locker room, great clubhouse, and 
just a great feel to it. I've heard that from multiple people and another Chicago guy who you're familiar with, I'm sure Andy Johnson of the fried egg, he did a yep. trip, trip out there and uh, just watching his social feeds of that place uh, had us drooling back here in the winter of Chicago, but uh, it's pretty special, huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just a, it's just a fun, uh, fun place to be. And there's, uh, there's so many. And uh, I would say, you know, the other, the other place that I really enjoyed playing was, you know, the old course at St. Andrews, uh, mostly because it embodies so much things we're talking about of, you know, big open <laughs> space and kind of random bounces and random lies. And uh, just the history was, uh, was so exciting. And since you brought up music on the course, I'm going to ask you uh, if and you don't have to answer if you listen to music on the course or if you don't. But uh, if you are in, in, with someone in the group that does listen to music, what type of music do you like to listen to on the golf course? <laughs> well, I actually I don't mind music on the golf course. I uh, I don't listen to it, but uh, I would say. Uh, I've changed a lot, but my uh, wife and son have gotten me back into country music. So believe it or not, that's what we listen to a lot now. All right. Uh, surprising number of Chicagoans are country music fans. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's having a resurgence. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, any, any particular artists? Oh, no. Now you're, now, <laughs> now you're going to know. Just, just about any of them. Whatever's on, right? That's a good answer. Um, and then, and lastly, this is another one you you can uh, plead the fifth on if you want. But favorite politician, since it's your other pastime. <laughs> well, I would say uh, my favorite politician, especially everything, a lot of great politicians. Uh, uh, Jim Thompson, the former governor of Illinois. Uh, you guys are probably all too young to remember him. Was a is a great person. Was a great governor, and also the the first President Bush. Uh, I was out working in Washington. Met my wife in Washington. We both worked in the uh, first Bush administration, and he's a is a wonderful man. Was a great president, and as I tell everyone, I think as the years go by, we really appreciate what a great person and president uh, he was. As we compare him to some of the ones that have come along since. Well, th thanks, uh, Steve, for sharing those. I think what we wanted to end with is kind of something we ask everybody, but. Um, we like to use the term compelling golf because we try to figure out all these different aspects of the game that draw us back and really get us to feel like we're part of something. So we, we always have that, that compelling term, which is really irresistible. You know, it, you get done with 18, it brings you back to the first. Um, what, is what does that term mean to you? What would compelling golf mean to I, Steve Skinner? To me, to me, it's more than the physical plant. It's really about the social aspect and who you're playing with. If I think about playing golf, the reason I play is because I enjoy being with my friends or with my family uh, out on the course. I used to play a lot of golf with my brother. Uh, when we were younger, we played every day. I played a lot of golf with my dad. I'm trying to get my kids to play and my wife to play, but it's the only opportunity you have if you think about it over the years. You know, how many hours uh, have you spent with your family or and close friends together on a golf course that you never would do otherwise you know a lunch is an hour but here you have four or five hours so to me it's uh you know what's compelling about golf is the relationships and the social aspect and just uh being out there with people you like and uh having an enjoyable time even while you struggle on the golf even while you struggle to get the ball <laughs> in the hole <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't hear you mention score in any of that, which is yeah, no, no. They, it's always fun, and the and the competition. And I think the great thing about golf is the handicap system does allow you to uh, be competitive. Uh, I think you know over the years they've done a great job with that. So you can go out and play a you know two handicap uh, and uh, get plenty of strokes, and you know still try to win two bucks at the end of the day. You know, it's not all about score, just like you said, all those other things, but. Uh, we do set up all of our members with handicaps because it, it, it is that little added element of connection with somebody when, you know, if you're a 15 and I'm a two, we can still play a game. And, uh, and it is just that it's a game. So uh, that, that's yeah. great. Steve. We, we appreciate all the time you've, you've taken. We know you're a really busy guy. Um, any, any parting words for our members? No, no. I just think it's great what you guys are doing. And I, I think it's a great idea. And, Great to see so much passion uh, around the game. So uh, we'd love to have you at any of our facilities. We appreciate all the nice things you say. So uh, just keep playing more golf and uh, bring your friends. We absolutely will. Uh, we love this game. And um, and uh, your staff, again, they've been great at the places we've been, Royal Melbourne and, and Hawthorne Woods and Harborside, as I mentioned, and Cantini. And uh, there's, just, there's too many to list in the Chicagoland area alone. Uh, but we're really looking forward to uh, Sand Valley this year and Bandon. Oh, you'll love it. All this yeah. stuff is just you guys are uh, a big part of the golf world, and, and we thank you for that. Yeah, we're, we're very like We're very fortunate. We have a lot of great clients and work with a lot of great uh, developers and designers and, and visionaries. So it's fun. It's a fun business. That was Steve Skinner, CEO of Kemper Sports. Thank you, Steve, for giving us the insight into the business side of golf sharing your experiences, and most importantly, your dedication to our game. Thanks for listening and enjoy your day.